Today we interview an amazing leader, Chef Jose Gonzalez from Eddie V's Steak and Seafood in this episode of the Solutions Oriented Leader Podcast. Welcome to the Solutions Oriented Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Rick Goodman, international leadership expert and author of the book, The Solutions Oriented Leader, your comprehensive guide to achieve world-class results. Each week, we'll be bringing you inspiring leaders and messages to help you develop your solutions-oriented mindset for success. So if you're ready to become part of the solutions revolution, let's get started right now. Oh, today we're going to be interviewing Chef Jose Gonzalez, and he is the chef at Eddie V's restaurant, but more importantly, the chef has an amazing story. And I know most people start out on a certain path and then they end up going in a different direction. So I like to hear those great stories because a lot of us don't feel like we are on the right path and you never know that all of a sudden opportunity happens and your life changes forever. So Chef, it's great to have you here. Uh, tell me a little bit about your history because I remember you started out on a different path and a different profession when you, you know, were young. Yes, you're still young, though. That's correct. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm not that young, but you know. <laughs> but thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for coming and asking me these questions. So I actually, uh, first of all, I grew up. Um, I, I was born in Venezuela, um, but uh, when my mom moved to Orlando in 1991 I was seven years old I grew up mostly in Orlando uh, Florida so I'm from Florida mm -hmm. originally basically grew up in Florida um, and I actually went to school I started going to the University of Central Florida for a math education degree mm -hmm. um, which was a, a great journey I went in there I actually originally I started with a computer science major after six months I was like this is definitely not for me mm -hmm. um, but while I was going through school when I transferred over to math education um, I was already working at kitchens uh, mm -hmm. one of my first jobs was in a diner uh, working making breakfast making lunches uh, egg, egg stations and things like that and um, as I went through I was basically just working to get through school pay for my schooling pay for my uh, my books. I, I had a scholarship uh, that got, gave me a, a tuition ride, so that was great. But um, as I was working, I started liking it even more. I started loving it. So, and I've always loved food since I was little. Uh, my grandmother used to do a lot of baking. And I was the one in the kitchen licking the spoon, licking the bowl. <laughs> so you, you have you had some influence from Venezuela into your cooking now? Uh, no, not really. Mm -hmm. I have some of it, and I experiment with it. Um, because, um, but most of my, my grandmother um, I actually cooked was all desserts. Mm -hmm. She cooked all home-style cooking, but most of what she experimented with was, was a baker. Uh -huh. So she was always baking cake, gelatin, jello, all this stuff that it had to do with baking. And of course, you know, I was in the kitchen licking the spoon, licking the bowl. I was getting ready for, you know, oh, you want to wash that? I'll take it first. And then... <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, it's funny because I've, I've always said uh, to people and audiences that when we do what we love to do and we have fun doing it, we'll be successful. And most people... You know, you either live to work or you work to live. 
you know, and, and I profess to work to live because, you know, when you're enjoying something and you're into it and some people find that passion and, and they don't realize that they can really create a living from that passion. Yeah. Um, they think it could just be a side thing. But, you know, the people that are really successful and you ask them, they love what they do. And, and when you love what you do, you never feel like you work a day in your life. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree 100% with that. Um, and I, I myself, I love what I'm doing. I love what I've done. Um, I don't um, regret going to school for math education, getting my degree in math education, um, and then saying, hey, this is not for me. I didn't even get to step a, into a classroom for my first day as a official teacher. I think I did internships and stuff like that. But um, as soon as I said, hey, I want to go to culinary school. So when, what was that defining moment? What so, set you off and <laughs> set you on your path? So... I got hired at Disney, mm -hmm. at the Yachtman Steakhouse at the Garden Beach Club Resort okay. at Disney. And when I went into that kitchen, I saw everything that was happening, everything that was going on. And yes, I loved cooking in little mom and pop places and country places and things like that. That's where I started off. Um, but when I got in there and started seeing all the different types of products and into the fine dining aspects of it, um, I was like, wow. I mean, I... I want to work in mm -hmm. a kitchen. It, what I want it was to. a whole new world for you, and it happened at Disney. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's funny. It did. And, mm -hmm. I mean, and the, the, the funny thing is that the chef that hired me, he's like, the reason I hired you was because I saw that motivation that you wanted to learn, and you wanted to learn more. Um, and at that moment, I was not planning on going to school for culinary yet. Mm -hmm. So... He hired me and he said, I see that motivation in you. I see that you're going to want to grow. And um, it did. It pushed me to want to grow. And when I saw what was happening there, I was like, I want to run my own kitchen. I want to be able to, you know, uh, grow people into the next level, mm -hmm. um, get people to that, um, to, to, to become sous chefs and chefs and experiment mm -hmm. and learn and new things and love what they're doing, love what they have mm -hmm. in front of them. And I want to get there, and I want to, I want to do it. So, as and I, I can feel that passion <laughs> in you. And, and you know, it's interesting because uh, I always say to people, you know, one is you've got to find that mentor, mm -hmm. but it's more important also to become a lifelong learner. Yeah. You know, that you have people who are most successful have a passion for learning. They're, they're reading, and, and you're, you're looking for new, you know, recipes and going and discovering new different spices and things that you could do a little bit different. And, yeah. and it goes to say that, you know, no different than an artist. A chef is an artist in the kitchen. They're creative, and they take that creativity and passion. And you can't sell what you don't own. So, you know, I could feel that completely, and I'm sure that your mentor, and what was your mentor's name? Well, his name was uh, Jonathan O'Brien. He okay. was uh, my chef at Disney when he hired me. Mm -hmm. And um, I took him as my mentor because I remember one of the things he always told me, and I, I, I never forget this, and I always tell and use this as when I mentor people as well. When I teach people, you always want to take your boss's job. And not necessarily in the bad way as in you want your boss to get fired, but in the way that you have to be ready to do that job when your boss leaves and does another job, that job's going to be open, and if you already know how to do it, you're pretty much a shoo-in to get the job because you already know how to do that job. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to want your boss's job, take right. your boss's job. 
and like I said, it's not you want to get your boss fired or anything like that. That's not what you want. Mm-hmm. And you, but you know that position will eventually open because they also want to grow. They also right. want to get to the next level and things like that. And you want to be able to learn that. And you want to be able to be a step ahead of the game. And that's one of the things I tell all my chefs and my line cooks. And I always say, you know, yes, you're hired as a line cook or you're hired as a line chef, right? But if you want it to grow and become something else, you have to be able to do it before you become it. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be a sous chef, wonderful. But be a sous chef before you get the title. Mm-hmm. Because once the title becomes available and you're already doing it, basically it's just flipping you on there. And I don't have to worry about saying, oh, well, I got to spend three months training him, getting up to the level, and getting him to. No, because they've already done it. Mm-hmm. They've already it's got interesting because it. in, in corporate environments, I always mm-hmm. say if you want to move up the ladder, you have to replace yourself. And it's, it's, yes, the same, it's the same concept because, you know, some people say, well, I want this job, you know, but yet they, they hoard information and not willing to share information because they've got to share it with the people below and we call mm-hmm. transformational leadership. And yes. that's where the visionary, which is really what you're doing without even knowing it, mm-hmm. that you're giving the people the tools and the vision of what they have to do and you're giving them the support to carry that out and accomplish that mission. So now you're just developing a whole group of leaders a whole group of executive chefs to be, and that's really that evolution. That's how you really grow a business. And, yeah. you know, people had it the opposite way years ago. They thought, well, you know, I don't want to share information because I could lose my job. And, and again, then they're the only, when they wanted to move up, people would come to them and say, well, you're the only person who knows how to do this job. So you can't move up because they never shared that information and were hoarding that. So, you know, you had some great mentorship, and it, it's obvious that you're, passing that forward in a transformational leadership or solutions-oriented leadership way. No, no, no. I, I agree. And, I mean, I'm definitely going to read your book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what else did I you take they, away from Disney? Um, so if you gave me two major lessons, what were the two major lessons that you learned at Disney? Uh, the leadership was amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the development of the teams and the teaching was also a great thing. And I think those are probably the biggest things you get from working there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, oh, I work for this thing. Oh, my God, I work that. I'm like, no, it's not a bad thing. You learn a lot. Yes, maybe you work 50 hours a week. Maybe you work 60 hours a week. But you have all the development that you can get. And they offer a lot of training, development, and teaching, and uh things like that that not every company offers. Right. The Disney Institute is, yes. is, is one of the top things in, in everywhere in the world. But again, it goes on to say is, you know, anything with leadership or team development, it's ongoing learning, mm-hmm. ongoing training, and you only look good when the team looks exactly. good. You could have the best food, and if the server doesn't do their job, all of a sudden the customer's upset. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, it goes both ways is making sure one communication, which is what I find that breaks down in teams, and the best leaders communicate. And the other thing is when I was listening to an um, interview with Elon Musk, and Elon Musk says, you know, if you work 40 hours a week, then that's it. Mm-hmm. But the people working 80 hours a week, even if they're not as good as you or as talented as you, 
they're going to surpass you eventually yeah. because they're putting in the time. Yeah. And success, if you want to just get paid, 40 hours a week is good. If you want to grow, mm -hmm. you're going to have to put the time in. I always say you got to put the wood in to get the fire out. I agree. And, <laughs> and some people say, well, give me that fire and then I'll put the wood in. It just doesn't work that way. You know, so you've obviously got this great work ethic, but again, it's tied to your passion. So tell me a little bit about um, now and what you're doing here now. With uh, you've, you've gotten to Eddie V's, so how'd that all come about? So I started with Eddie V's about four years ago. I, um, I actually came from before I came to Eddie V's. I was at another concept, um, another uh, company mm -hmm. with Fleming Steakhouse. I used sure. to be regional chef for Fleming Steakhouse, uh, especially in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I was regional chef, and I was regional in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Then I came to Eddie V's because they offered me something that I was like, well, it's it's more innovation, mm -hmm. more new things, something different. And when I heard about Dart, and obviously I researched it, um, at the moment I was like, I'm not necessarily looking for a job, but if the opportunity comes along, it's a great opportunity, it's a growth opportunity, it's a position that I can get to the next level, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, so I saw, I researched Dart, which is a big company, the biggest restaurant company in the United mm -hmm. States. I thought it, uh, ADVs was a growing company, and I, and I liked it. I mm -hmm. liked what they had to offer, liked what they had to say. I loved the concept. Um, I love the fact that we get to experiment with food, dishes, and all this stuff, uh, which you don't see much in necessarily a um, multi-restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, um, and innovation is great because that's what people keeps people growing and keeps yeah. people fresh and stuff. And and people don't like the same old same old. I mean, certainly people come to Eddie V's because they know when they're going to get a steak or something that the quality is going mm -hmm. to always be consistent. Yet they could also come here and get a variety of different yeah. new things um, that kind of spices things up. And it, it, I'm sure it helps the staff. You know, keeps them on their toes and more interested and more fun and involved. Yeah, because we have our set menu, of course, like we do at every Eddie's. We have our standards, we have our, our standard items that are signature items that are on our menu. But of course, we always bring in new things depending on the market, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so, uh, for Hotel, right next to the beach, we try to bring in all different types of things. We bring uh, stone crab cloths when they're in season, and we're a seasonality restaurant, we bring everything in season. Um, and at the peak of season, the beginning of season, no, the end of season, no, because that's when you start getting the shady thing. So you mm -hmm. want to be at the main part of the season and getting the best product that, that we can. Mm -hmm. And yes, um, we pride ourselves in flying different types of fishes and, th and, uh, um, and, and, and shellfish from all over the world. Uh, we have stuff from the Mediterranean Sea, we have stuff from uh, the Atlantic, from the Pacific, from the Gulf of Mexico, from all over the world we have different types of products. But we also, as you know, we are all in different local markets. We try to bring mm -hmm. in local products if we can. Um, obviously, Adivis here just opened in Vermont not mm -hmm. even three months ago, right? So we're still getting established with our set menus and bringing in a few things, but eventually things are going to start coming in, flowing in, and new new ideas, new items. Uh, we have a whole team of chefs in the back that are willing to try new things, are mm -hmm. willing to um, learn new things, and they're willing to grow as well as I'm willing to grow as well as my sous chefs. And, and we all want to grow. We all want to get to the next level and learn and become something 
something better. And Give me three things that you got that you do to help you know train or work with your team and kind of bring everybody together. So so you're all on the same page because we know that you're only as good as your team is. Agree. Um, so everybody has this stereotypical thing about chefs is what the chef says is what the what what gets done, right? He says it. Don't ask why. Don't 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 ask. Don't tell. Don't say anything else. Right? Just do it. It doesn't happen that way. I I always believe and explain the reasoning why things have to be done the way they have to be, right? Whether it's a technical issue, whether it's a um, flavor issue, whatever it might be, I believe in explaining and training and teaching people. All right. So that's one of the biggest things. I always believe in being part of the team not just being the leader. The leader is not just the person that stands in front and tells everybody what to do. Mm -hmm. They work along with the team. Uh, you, you you go back into the kitchen, eventually you'll see me washing some dishes, you'll see me working on a pro station, you'll see me working on all these different types of stations. Why? Because I want to make sure the team knows that I'm you got to be willing to do everything that yeah. your team does. You can't really ask them. Exactly. I get it. So I, that's one of the things I, I'm part of. And, of course, I always put time aside to develop my team and sit down with them and tell them what they have to do to get to that next level. You know, that, that is so important. I mean, the three things that you just said are absolute jewels. And, and you know, the first thing I've I, I got to go to is the why. And I talk about this all the time because people do things because of the why. And I always say, well, you know, if you ask your child to go up and clean up their room and you go up an hour later and the room's not cleaned up, the first thing you ask you know, yourself is, you know, some people say, well, what were you doing? But that's the end game. They can say, playing video games, you're done. But if you say, why, why did you do this? Then you get to that point. And by explaining why, then people get it. Because people just want to be understood. People want love, appreciation, respect. And if you give them those three things, they'll do anything for you. And being part of the team, you know, when I was with the St. Louis Rams, one of the biggest things that I observed was, you know, Coach Dick Vermeil inviting people to his house, spending time with the players. So people got to really know that person, and then they would do anything for him. And, and you know, the, that communication is key. Because, you know, again, people will stay with you longer if you treat them well than if you pay them another dollar twenty-five an hour. I agree 100%. You know, and, and that's why they're there. And when you're having fun and you make it fun and, and you show that you're passionate, that, that is, you know, like I say, teams go where you go. And if they see you're having fun and doing it, they're going to want what you got. They're going to want that, you know, secret sauce. And I'm going to tell you, Chef, you got the secret sauce. So it was absolutely great having you on the podcast today. Uh, I look forward to speaking with you more. Of course, I've eaten in the restaurant, so I know the quality of your food. But now I learn the quality of the man, and I really understand why you are doing what you're doing and why you're going to be so successful, even more successful than you already are today. Well, thank you very much, Rick. I really do appreciate it. It's been great speaking with you. Thank you so much for being on the Solutions Oriented Leader podcast. Thank you. To learn more about solutions-oriented leadership, please visit our website at rickgoodman.com or feel free to email me at info at rickgoodman.com and please subscribe to the Solutions Oriented Leader on iTunes or your favorite podcast app to get your weekly episodes automatically.